Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is longtime listener, poet laureate, and Taya master, Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And once again, we are experimenting and experimenting successfully with a new setup where I've got Zoom connected into StreamYard as we record this so we can have the music and the uh, intro graphics playing on StreamYard and we can be talking on Zoom so we can have the camera work going on there. And well, that's been the dream that I've had for a while and I finally think I've gotten there. The only thing I'm not 100% sure about is my computer is like maxed out. So guys, if I kind of like start cutting out, Emery, give me a high sign, let me know what's going on because I'm not 100% sure this is going to work perfectly, but it's working right now. I've got some more computer memory on the way. That should help. I think I got there. I think we actually have this You superstar. Well done. done. <laughs> I mean, how, how long have I been working on this, to be honest? Oh, it's, yeah, it has been, been a long time. You've literally been, I want this. I'm working for this. So fair play. Well done for nearly getting there. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I'm trusting that my audio sounds good because at, at my end, it's a little bit choppy, but you guys have been telling me it sounds good. So I'm Yeah, I think your pitch is slightly that. delayed, but for listeners on the podcast who aren't watching the video, that's no problem. <laughs> it sounds good. Right. Well, I can live with that. So this is good. Yeah, I love this. This is good. Hey, this is finally working the way I want it to. Hey, Tucker. And I, I got to tell you, I, when I first read his bio, his profile, I said to myself, my God, this guy's been through everything. I mean, literally, he has been through the... the I, I thought my 10 years was tough. My <laughs> 10 years... 10 years ago, I was in a bad place. Nothing compared to this guy. And yet he smiles. He's happy. He's joyful. And I think I'm going to learn something from him today about how on earth you actually do that. So, Terry Tucker, thank you for joining us on the program. And, oh, my goodness, guy, I mean, how do you do it? <laughs> Boy, I, I've never been asked that question before. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess, first of all, Walt and Marie, thank you very much for having me on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I, I, I think it's, you know, it, you sort of have a choice in life. Life is all, all about choices. And you have a choice to be, you know, down and depressed or you have a choice to be happy and upbeat. And I choose to be happy and upbeat, even though I've been fighting this rare form of cancer for the last 10 doom and gloom. I mean, there's too many people out there that are doing that. Figure maybe I'll be a little different in that way. Well, you got my attention. I'll <laughs> say that for you. I mean, truly. Give, give people, because it's more than just the cancer. You've been through a lot of stuff. Give people like a, a sure. little. So I, I grew up in Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You cannot tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played college basketball at a military college, the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. To Notre Dame, another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association, and then my dad was six five. So I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was that was going on whatsoever. You know, but but our five foot eight inch mother was the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. Whatever mom says, that's the way it went. Um, graduated from the Citadel, moved home to find a job. Really going to date myself now. This was long before the internet was available to help people find jobs. Indies International, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, as I mentioned, started out uh, in marketing at Wendy's, moved to hospital administration, then made a really kind of a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I started my own school security consulting business, uh, coached girls high school basketball, made the brilliant business decision to start a motivational speaking business, read, um, <laughs> published a book in 2020. But for the last 10 years, I've been dealing with the rare form of melanin. 
and then my left leg amputated, and I still have tumors in my lungs, uh, which I'm being treated for. And then I guess finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military here in the States, the Space Force. Well, have we actually got somebody taller than you on the show? Yeah, I mean, it's so my daughter, <laughs> my daughter ended up getting my height. You know, my daughter ended yeah. up getting that my height and going to the Air Force Academy to play basketball. So, yeah, it's me, my daughter, and then my five foot five well, wife. So it's. Yeah, I think is, uh, that is one is uh, six issue. foot seven. So I think you've actually nice. <laughs> got, got to be a bit taller than he is. I, I'm actually six eight. So we got... oh, oh, you're six eight, are you? No, Walt, did you play ball <laughs> no. at all? Uh, Sam, I did not. Okay. No, I, I, it was not my thing. That's okay. So, no. <laughs> but, and one of, one of our other co-hosts who's also yeah. in the live stream, Sam. There you go. Also, yeah. But I'm just so impressed that you've been able to come through everything that you've gone through with such flair and, and such joy. And, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson you can teach all of us. So, I mean, I understand what you said. It's important to be joyful no matter what's going on. But that's not easy. That's easier said than done. So how do you do it? I think you do it in small bites. I, I mean, you're, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cake. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a human being. I have bad days. You know, I get down. I get depressed. I feel sorry for myself. And I guess... We're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be, you know, cancer pain or your girlfriend or you flunk a test at school or you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take it and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? Like I said, I, I have those bags. And, and I'll, one of them is kind of off the wall, but bear with me. And here's the story. Read about a study back in 1950 that a professor did at Johns Hopkins University. Very simple study. He took rats and he put rats in a tank of water that were over their head. And he wanted to see how long in minutes. And right before the rats were getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for a while. Then he put the same rats back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water on average for 60 hours. So think oh, about geez. that. 15 minutes. I'm at the end of the rope. Can't go on. I'm done. I'm going to which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to believe that what we're doing now is sometime in the future going to lead to a better life. And secondly, just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought that they could. And, and the second story kind of dovetails with that. My wife works with a young man who's a former Navy SEAL, some of the toughest men in the world uh, in terms of men. He'll call from time to time just to check up on. And, and we talk about different things. And one of the things we talk about is what the SEALs call their 40% rule, which basically says that if you're at the end of your rope, you're done, you can't go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum, and you still have another 60% left to give to you. I remember those stories, and they kind of motivate me to keep moving forward. I totally get that. By the way, I'm getting a notice from um, people who are listening to the live stream that the uh, network is not coming through clearly. So that's probably because of my computer being overloaded. So, guys, sorry about that for today's episode. We'll, we'll straighten that up going forward. As soon as I get the new ramp for the computer, which should be coming fairly soon, hopefully. It's on order. As soon as it gets here, everything will clear up. Uh, but fortunately, I know that the recording goes through Zoom is going to come out okay. So the actual uh, podcast episode will sound fine. It's just people listening to the live stream, they're going to find it's not quite so good today. So I guess the best thing I could say is after we're done here, we'll be publishing the episode within an hour after that. So, you know, check us out on the podcast because that's really the place to check us out anyway. 
So with that little bit of uh, homework out of the way, that little bit of a uh, uh, promotional note or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I love that. I love what you're talking about there. I love how, well, I, I can't say I'm not really crazy about drowning rats. Or <laughs> <laughs> basically putting them through that. But other than that, I, I, I certainly love what they learned from that. That was that was great. And the fact is, yeah, we really do have capabilities far beyond what we believe we really have. I think it's, that's part of why we're here. We're learning just how just how powerful we as human beings are. And I, I think that's actually going to be ongoing for generations, more and more people realizing in more and more ways just how amazingly powerful we are, because that's not what most of us believe. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Most of us believe we're victims. Most of us believe we're stuck. We can't get anywhere. The world is against us. All this kind of stuff um, that we're being defeated, that people are, are stepping on us, that there are terrible entities in the world. I mean, there's like this long, long laundry list. And yet we're going through this tremendous long-term growth pattern that basically helps us to understand how we really are pretty amazingly powerful. It, it really is. You know, I, I think back when I was playing college basketball and, and my, my brother who was uh, drafted in the National Basketball Association, a lot of times we'll talk about how, gosh, if we knew back then what we know now in terms of, you know, mental training, physical training and, and stuff like that, then we were. And I mean, we were pretty decent to begin with. But yeah, I mean, life goes on and we learn new things and, and we were, were able to incorporate those into our daily practices and things like that. And it, it really is is amazing. And, and I kind of agree with you all. I mean, so many people walk around as victims. So many people walk around, you know, just, I, I call them, comes their way. And they're like, oh, no, nope, sorry, I'm good. I can't do that and stuff like that. And at least here in the States, I think we're also big about once that impediment arises, well, we can't do this. Now we got to blame somebody. You know, you got to blame your parents or your mom or, your, you know, your boss or your station in life or some cancer. People are like, well, who, who, do, you, who do you blame for that? I'm like, what, what do you mean? Who do I blame? It's like, well, you, you got to blame somebody. You know, I mean, then people were like, well, you got to blame God. I mean, God, and I started joke. I'm like, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. Don't think that happened at all. You know, but, <laughs> you know, it was just, I got cancer. There's no, I've done all kinds of genetic testing of, of all ADHD genes that doctors either know of or suspect cause all different kinds of cancer. And I have no mutations in any of my genes, which sort of begs the question, why did I get this? And my doctors, I got it. I've got it. Now I've got to deal with it. So, Terry, have you always had this mindset or is this something that you've learned along the way? I mean, I think as an athlete and, you know, going to a military school and being in law enforcement, I think you have to have a, a strong mindset. Sure. I mean, I don't think I've had it all along, but I think it's certainly something that I've, I've developed over the years. And, you know, it's just, it's, again, it's a choice. I, I mean, yes, you have a strong mindset, but on the other hand, it's a choice to have a strong mindset. You can be, as well said, a victim. You know, you can be soft. You can you can do all that stuff and have the world pity you, but the world doesn't owe you. Figure out what that is. Use your unique gifts and talents and go after it with every single thing you have because the world is going to put all kinds of obstacles in your way, and if you are soft, you're never going to get to your goal. You have to keep going. You have to be resilient. You have to keep moving forward. Powerful we've talked about here on the uh, program in the past is the question of do we as beings choose to come into this life or is it thrust upon us and i think most of us here on the program have come to the conclusion that we chose to be here this was not something that oh my god i was just thrown into the soup and now i'm trying to uh, not like like the rats in the water <laughs> that uh, you know we were just kind of thrust we had this thrust upon us we had to deal with it and you know it's just this is just another tortuous test that we're being put through rather we, we think that we we realized we knew in advance what we were getting into we knew we were coming into a world of contrast and polarity where things happen that we don't like and we did it deliberately we did it with intention but i'm curious what, where do you sit on that particular 
particular fence. I, I guess I, I look at it, you know, I, I talk about a lot of times what's gotten me through this and, and what I believe are what I call my three F's, faith, family, and friends. And, you know, I have a very strong faith in God. And, you know, so as a result, I, I don't think God gave me cancer, but I do believe God has given me the, the strength, the courage, the determination to get through this this past 10 years of hell, for lack of a better word. And And so, you know, I guess I just look at it like, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I like being a lifelong learner. I like, you know, learning different things. I had no idea what I was getting and no idea what it was going to be like. But on the other hand, again, I've got a choice. Am I going to learn something here? Am I going to make a difference in somebody else's life? Can, can I take something positive away from this? And it kind of goes back to pain. You know, when we have pain and it doesn't have pain, when we have that in our lives, you know, the way I look at it is my pain is going to end someday. You know, man through surgery, it man through medication, it man when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to the pain in my life, then pain always will be a part of my life. So I, I don't know if I if I signed up for this, but I do believe that a God who in my in my religion, in my Isla, but knew all the dumb, stupid, crazy, sinful things I was gonna do in this world, but loved me enough to put me in here to try to make a difference in his world. I can live with that. I can I can do the best I can with that and hopefully get to a point where, you know, he'll be not necessarily proud of me, but I'll, I'll be able to someday see him again and say, I did the best I could. Amazing. I that's about 20 minutes and I'm already emotional with it. So. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I feel very much the same way. And, and it's an impressive attitude to Isn't take it? in the face of all you've, you've dealt with. Right. But nevertheless, you've taken the attitude and it pays off for you. I mean, that's also evident. It's evident not only in your story, but it's also evident on your face in the way that you tell the story. And to just talk about what kind of a difference has that made, just having that attitude, what, what, what has that accomplished for you? I guess, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still here. I, I started on a clinical trial drug about two years ago with a couple other people who are not here. They, they have passed away since then. And, you know, I, I guess the way I looked at this, and one of the big things I learned from playing teams graduated from college is, is you learn on a team the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize that if you don't do your job on a team, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your, your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So I am in my lungs that more than likely is not going to save my life, but it very well may save the life of somebody, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, based on all the data that the doctors are gleaning for my scans and my blood work and all that kind of stuff. And if that happens, that makes my life, that makes my legacy even more powerful because I'm going to help somebody out who I'm not even going to meet, who I'm probably going to be long gone by the time that happens. And if that's the. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's mind blowing. It really is. <laughs> it's fabulous, but it's mind blowing. And it's, it's impressive. Thank you. And I don't even know what to say about that. What, what, what do you see as, like, how, let's put it this way. Who do you see as being your team players? You talk about playing on a team and the, the importance of a, of a, a team role. But you're, that means you're playing with team players. Who are your team players, do you think? I, I think my, my closest team players are certainly, you know, my family. I talk, you know, my faith, my family, my friends. And, you know, I, I sort of tell the story that when I had my leg amputated in 2020, when I healed, my doctor wanted to start me on chemotherapy. And, and I asked him, I said, is it, is it going to save my life? He's like, yeah, probably not, but it may buy you some time. And I was like, well, I'm not sure I want to do that. If the end is going to be, you know, the same outcome is going to happen, whether I take it or I don't, I'm not sure I want to do that, but I'll go home and talk to my family. 
And it's just my wife and daughter and I. So I go to a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that. You know, so so we, we, end up, we end up sitting around the kitchen table. And, you know, I tell my side, my wife, my daughter tell their side. And then my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and my daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I, I didn't want to be academy? When our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you'll fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I love my family more than I love myself. So that's pretty much my inner circle, my family. That's my, that's my inner circle. But then I'm very fortunate to have a great oncologist and I'm in a university setting. So I also have, you know, an oncology pharmacist and oncology nurse helps me get through this because this is not something that I think I could get through by myself. I love that idea of having your family in mind because like you say, you're not going to fight. You're going to fight harder for them than you are for yourself. I think that's so prominent for me because obviously we call ourselves Team Young and we are a team. It's a team, not on your own. I love that. Thank you. Why do you think that is, though? It's a great point, and I love it, but why do you think it is we are willing to fight for somebody else more than we'll fight well, for Well, that's a good question. I, I Because I think, you know, and, and again, this is going to go back to my faith, because I think we've all been put on the face of this earth to serve. You know, that regardless of what we do or how we do it, the, the overarching point is to serve, whether you believe in God, you know, to serve your creator or to serve your fellow man, to make a difference in your life. And, and, you know, if, if I can make a difference, I mean, that's why I do all these podcasts. Like it's can my story make a positive difference in somebody taking care of me? When I first met this nurse, she, she's pretty young. She's about 25. She was working uh, on the unit training. And a couple months ago, she was taking care of me by herself. And she said to me one day, she said, Terry, I've got a story I want to tell you, but I'm kind of nervous about telling you. And I, I mean, I didn't really know how to respond to that. It's like, well, it sounds like it might be interesting. I'd like to hear it. So eventually... She got up the courage and she said, here's the deal. She said, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. She said, I'd had a, a good friend of mine die. I was in a really dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, then I read your story and I see how you come here every day and you fight and you throw up and you shake and you go through all this stuff and you come back all the time. And she said, once I read your story and I met you, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had had a positive impact on her. So, you know, I always ask people, you know, who's out there? Who's out there, Walt? Who's out there, Anne Marie? Who wants to be like you? Who wants to be in your shoes? That we have no idea who those people are. And when I was growing up uh, in the 1970s, there was a basketball coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden. And, and Wooden had a great saying that went like this. A careful person I want to be. A little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. So I, I guess that kind of, in sort of a long-winded answer, is it's all about service. It's all about how is your life impacting another person, maybe that you know, but on the other hand, maybe that you have no idea who that person is. So I think it's real important how we live our lives. 
I love that. By the way, uh, if you're listening on the live stream, uh, you may have noticed that the quality has just kind of improved a bit because I just figured something out on the fly here that um, <laughs> if I just reduce my video screen, all of a sudden the computer is not doing as much work and all of a sudden everything starts to clear up. So that's what's going on in case you're wondering. But uh, yeah, I love, I love the fact that you brought up John Wooden, by the way. Who I think is just—he was just an amazing human being, let alone an amazing coach. I mean, he was record-breaking as both. Uh, but there's also, in my mind, there's a little bit of a parallel going on there because he taught life lessons. I mean, he brought in to the UCLA basketball program some of the best athletes that the NBA and uh, college basketball and so forth have ever seen. But every one of them, to a man, will tell you about the life lessons, which is what all the best coaches do. Their, their players afterward will tell you they learned all the best stuff in their college courses, almost more than they, they learned from their NBA coaches. Not that their NBA coaches weren't any good, but their college coaches were the formative ones. And Wooden was definitely at the top, I would say, of the list of formative coaches. So, I mean, with that kind of a setup, what I'm leading up to is you, by your own example, you are providing life lessons for other people that go way beyond what kind of life are you having and what, uh, what what's your current situation and have more to do with how are you going to deal with all areas of your life. And and that that, to me, sounds more like a calling than anything else. Is that what it seems like to you? Do you feel like you've been called to do this? I, I do in a lot of ways. You know, I, I, I sort of look at my, you know, my purpose or my why or whatever you want to call it, you know, in life. You know, when I was young, it, it was basketball. I ate, drank, slept basketball. And then as I got into being a young adult, it was to be into law enforcement. I felt that was my calling then. And now I really do feel with whatever time I have left, However, however much time I have to put as much goodness, positivity, motivation, love back into the world as I possibly can is really what I'm called to do at, at, at this point. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it, you know, I guess let me back up. In 2020, I had my leg amputee. I also found out I had these big tumors in my lung. And I had never seen my CAT scan from 2020. And four or five months ago, my oncologist oncologist showed me that can scan and I have no medical background, but you know, I kind of know like, Hey, that looks like a kidney or, you know, something like that. So I was able to sort of look at it and I had fluid all around the pleural spaces of my lungs. I had these big tumors in my lungs and I looked at my oncologist and I was like, how was I alive? <laughs> he kind of shook his head and he's like, I don't know what, which said to me that God's not done with me yet. You know, when I die, when I, how I die, where I die, way above my pay grade. So, you know, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about that, but I really feel that all this garbage that I've been through for 10 years has had a purpose. And that purpose is to tell my story and try to make people realize that you, you can do so much more in your life if you just stop being soft and got out there and do the things you know you need to do to be successful in life. That last bit, being instead of being soft, go out there and do the things that you know you need to do in life, is that that's certainly the core of your message. It's also a very interesting message, I because I, I think the word soft probably means something specific to you that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to somebody else. To me, I'm I'm hearing soft in terms of someone who is willing to take control of their own life rather than someone who's going to give up. Whereas some other people might take soft as being, uh, well, you're just a weakling, which is not really the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's probably semantics in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's, I mean, are you tough enough 
to handle what life throws at you. I, I always, when I had my first knee surgery, I, I was a, I was a child. I was a kid. I was about 14 years old and things were different then. They didn't have arthroscopic surgery. You know, I was in the hospital for three or four days and I remember I, I ended up getting an infection and, and I had a fever and stuff like that. And they were giving me pain medicine. And one night I started to hallucinate. You know, and I, I was I was a kid. I was scared, you know, and it's two o'clock in the morning, you know, and I call home and my and my mom, God love my mom, you know, the, the, the diehard Catholic, you know, I'm like, mom, and I'm crying and I'm like, I'm scared. And it's like, open the drawer. There's a rosary in there. Take out that rosary and start saying the rosary. And for <laughs> me, that was courage. That was strength. That was I can get through this. And, you know, I, I lean on my faith a lot through this. And I realize there's a lot of people that don't feel the same way I do. And, and I get that. And I'm not trying to put my religion or my faith on other people. But I, I do believe that everything God gives us, he gives us the strength to handle it. You're not going to get something and not be able to handle it. So we're all strong enough to do it. It's just a matter of you want to do it or not. To what degree do you believe each of us has the ability to control and influence our own lives? I, I guess let me answer that this way. So when, when I wrote my book, you know, I, there's sort of that old joke that says, you know, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So guys, never <laughs> talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so God has never talked to me, but I think what God has done is put people in my path that were saying, Hey, Terry, you ought to write a book. And, and I, and I was really resistant. I'm like, I am not a writer. I am not an author. You know, why? Who would ever read my book? But when enough people start to say things, I think I'm smart enough to kind of buck up and be like, hmm, maybe I ought to pay attention to what these people are saying. So I'm not so sure. God, you know, God gives us free choice. It's like, hey, I think you should do this. I'm putting people in your life that telling you that you should do this, but it's your choice. You can say, you know what? No, I'm not writing that book. I'm going to go do this over here. Okay, that's fine. That's what it's all about. So I think we do have, have that ability to say, this is how I want my life to go. This is the direction I want my life to go. Okay, let's see how that goes. But I also think God puts people in our place that sort of helps us get down the road and then it's up to us as to whether or not we choose to go down that road or that road. So metaphorically, we could say they are the signposts along our road. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, what, what signs are we going to follow? You know, we, we can skip the sign that says exit, you know, three quarters of a mile. We don't have to take the exit if we don't want to. Exactly. You're absolutely right. But on the other hand, if we want to get to, you know, Broadband Street, we probably want to take the exit because that's the Broadband Street exit. So that's the quick way to get there. <laughs> Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works. Something else, too. When, you, when you're uh, telling your story to others, what do you hear to yourself? Usually my big mouth, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, you're, you're sto I, I get the very strong opinion, and uh, not opinion, the strong um, impression that the story that you're telling to others, you're telling because it's, you think it's going to be valuable to them, but it's also, in a certain way, it's feeding you. It, it, it certainly does. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't do this to, you know, 
I don't do this for me as much as I do it for other people, but I certainly get something out of it. I, you know, because you, I think a lot of us, we doubt ourselves from time to time. It's, you know, kind of like when I, when I was, people were saying, you should write a book. I'm like, why? Who's going to, who, who's going to want to listen to my story? And, and the book is not necessarily about just me. There are other people in it and, and other uh, subjects in it, but it's like, why? What, you know, what makes me different? And, and then when, you know, I start and I, you know, I sort of go through the 10 years and, you know, I was on a drug for five years that every week it gave me flu-like symptoms. And I was on that drug for five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that was not a cure for me. That was, as my oncologist used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road. So when I hear my story, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's sort of the old Winston Churchill quote of, you know, during World War II, if you're going through hell, keep going. It's like, I don't think anybody would say I haven't been through hell, but for me, it's, I got to keep going because I've, I've accumulated all this stuff and now I'd like to give it to people to say, yeah, you think you got it bad? I know. And believe me, there's always people out there that are worse off than I am, but I, you know, and whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself, God kind of hits me. I'll never forget that I was coming out of therapy one day. I was really down. I was depressed. And this guy comes off the elevator and he's got all these IV bags handed hanging on his wheelchair he can barely breathe and i'm like all right idiot you got nothing to worry about because i mean that guy's 10 times worse off than you we can always find people who are worse off than us and we like to compare suffering we're great about that you know i is my suffering worse than yours you know what we all suffer in different ways and and that's fine so don't try to compare just like don't try to compare yourself to another human being in a, in a job or, you know, they're smarter, they're better looking. They're, who cares? You know, you, you weren't born to be them. You got to live your life. The same thing with these people. You're always going to find people that are worse off than you are. But yes, I get something out of telling my story because it energizes me to want to tell it again and hopefully make a difference in somebody's life. I, I honestly do believe too that the more that we tell these stories about ourselves, the more we do feed ourselves. Well, I think what, in a sense, we're all doing, those of us who pursue um, either career paths or just interest paths of helping others through our own stories, I think we're, it, we're, we're talking to all of us. We're talking to ourselves and we're talking to everybody else at the same time. Because, like you said, we are all really, really good at comparing ourselves negatively to somebody else. And, well, they're worse off than I am or I'm worse off than they are and so forth. We don't give a whole lot of attention to how well off we are, which I find to be really interesting. I, 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 uh, lately, I've been participating a lot in Facebook groups where people pose questions. You know, I'm having this challenge with this, that, or the other thing. And the thing that really just amazes me about it, and, and I'm, I'm becoming very, very hyper aware of it, is that a lot of these questions, and I'll, I'll even go so far as to say a majority of them, are posed by people who don't actually say in the post what they want instead. In fact, they rarely, there are very many cases where they don't even tell you what it is they're asking for. Even if they ask for it negatively, they don't, they're just, it's like there's a, there's this belief that you can use social media to just vent stuff out. So I'll just vent stuff out. I'll just complain. I'll just put it out there like that. But we very rarely see people who are really on top of, I know this is not where I want to be right now. Yes, I'm going through all this, this, whatever this crap is that I'm posting about. But there's that rare person who says, beyond that, I want to get to a better place. And here's what that better place looks like. How can I get there? To me, that's the most inspiring kind of story. And I think it's probably inspiring just because we don't see it very often, but we just don't see it very often. 
It's just not part of our consciousness. So that's why I go back to how when people like you are telling your story, I think you're also helping yourself. We're, we're, you're, you're basically trying to encourage all of us to help ourselves to, where do I want to be instead? What can I do to get there? How can I get there? Is it possible to get there? Can I believe that I can get there? What can I do about it? And, and I think a lot of that has to do with sort of which handle you grab. I, I mean, when I go to my therapy and I, I go for a week of therapy, I have two weeks off and then I go for a week and, and, and two weeks off seems to go by like that. And it's, but when I, it, it, it's ugly, it, it's, it's painful, it hurts, it, it, it's all this kind of thing. But again, going back to, you know, it's something that's bigger than myself. So when I go to therapy, I have two choices. Whenever we go up against something, whenever we're going to do something, you have two choices. Do I have to go to therapy or do I get to go to therapy? You know, if I have to, oh, I have to go to therapy. You know, it's going to suck. This is terrible. It's ugly. Or do I get to go to therapy because I know it's going to suck. I know it's going to be terrible. But long term, it's going to be better for me and better for somebody else. So despite the fact that you are dealing with what many consider to be perhaps even a hopeless situation, you're battling this cancer, this rare form of cancer, it's been beating you up for years now. I'm going to ask that question that I would dare to ask anyway. Do you think you can beat this thing? Yeah, I already have. And here's why I believe that. I had a nurse ask me one time, all my stories are about nurses or sports. Sorry. You know, so. <laughs> it's not a bad combination, you know. Really. It's really not. <laughs> so I had a nurse ask me one time, she said, you know, what was it like to have your foot amputated? And then what was it like, you know, two years later to have your leg amputated? And I told her, it has not been easy. I am still learning how to walk again. But what I told her is that, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties. The cancer can't touch my mind, it can't touch my heart, and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. So, you know, cancer, can I beat it? Already have beaten it. Already have beaten it just by telling my story and know that cancer can't touch my mind, heart, and soul. And this is just a house, a vessel, whatever you want to call it, to house who we really are. So you can take whatever you want. You've already taken a leg. You want to take another leg? You want to take an arm? It, it's not going to matter to me because that's not who I am. So I've already beaten cancer. So let me follow up on a, I love the answer, by the way. Let me follow up on that answer and ask, okay, since I agree with you, the body is not who we are. Who are we? I mean, this is like one of those ultimate questions, right? Where do we come from? What are we doing here and so forth? Well, one of those questions is who are we? Who are we? We are who we think. You know, I've always said you need to control your mind because if you don't, you're going to become what you think. So if you think you're going to be a great elite athlete, you can be a great elite athlete. If you can see something in your mind's eye, you can make it happen. But if you can't see it in your mind's eye, it's never going to happen. So you, if you want to be something, it's all about what you think. Bobby Knight, we'll, we'll talk about another basketball coach, you know, John Wooden. So Bobby Knight, yeah, at, coach at Indiana University, um, had a great saying. He used to say, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's one of the greatest coaches, college basketball coaches of all time, teaching elite athletes to use their bodies to be great basketball players. But what he was really saying is that your mind is four times more important than your physical body is. So we are what we think. Which fits beautifully with what our predominant role, uh, our predominant topic is here on the show. We are what we think. 
since we are what we think, where are the limits? That, that's up to you. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, if you think about just, you know, where we were 200 years ago, you know, I, I mean, and, and where we are today, I think about when I was a child and what I didn't have then that I have now. You know, we are more connected. We have more devices to connect with each other. But I've often believed we are less connected than we've ever been in our life. I, I hate my cell phone. The only thing good about it is I can pick up the phone and call somebody that I haven't talked to in a while. Or I, I, I write a letter. I'll, I'll never forget this. Our daughter, as I mentioned, was a, a really good basketball player and was recruited by several schools. And when she made the decision to go to the Air Force Academy, I said to her, okay, great, you've made that decision. Now you're going to have to call these other coaches and tell them you've made your decision. And this is what she said. I'll just send them a text. And I'm like, no, you won't. You're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call them because this has been a relationship that has developed. These people have come to see you and, and written you letters and contacted you. This is a relationship. You're going to call them. And we literally had to role play for her to do that because you know, as an 18-year-old kid, she didn't know how to make a phone call. I mean, she didn't know how to talk to somebody on the phone. She could do this all day long, but she didn't know how to connect with somebody over the phone using her voice. And it was a great experience for her because there were some coaches at schools that were not as good academically or athletically that got mad at her. It's like, what do you mean you're not coming here? I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to the Air Force Academy, one of the greatest, you know, institutions academically, and it's an NCAA Division I basketball program. It doesn't get much better than that. And you're mad at me? So it was a great lesson for her, but she could not connect with pers another person over the phone. We've got to do more of that. We've got to get better at getting back to connecting with each other. And this isn't going to do it. So really the problem isn't the cell phone. The problem is the skill or lack thereof of the people who are holding the phone. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you, actually. Let's talk a little bit more about yeah. that because that connection thing is big. I, I honestly, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what I've talked about a lot. And I've mentioned this like, oh God, I don't know, a dozen times over the last month or so um, here on the program. There was a study that was done back in the early 2000s by Sean Aker. I don't know if you know who Sean Aker is. He is one of the uh, leading speak speakers in the uh, positive psychology movement that has emerged mm -hmm. within the overall field of psychology over the last 20, 25 years. And while he was at Harvard, he did a study um, basically trying to identify what were the factors that helped to predict the success or failure of a Harvard student, whether okay. it was at Harvard or after they left the school or whatever. And he, he did this huge study, uh, something like a fifth of the entire population took the study, and he threw in a question at the end that became the only question that pr produced any kind of result, and it was a really strong result. The rest of it, he could find no correlation I mean, he was looking at how much homework they did, how often they studied, where they came from, what their background was, you know, did they, did they have great parents, lousy parents? I mean, he looked at all that. He couldn't find any correlation except for this one factor, and that factor was social connectedness. What were the types of connections that they had? How deep were they? Because it turned out that the correlation between social connectedness and whether or not you're going to succeed in life was 0.70, correlation. And speaking of cancer, the correlation between cigarettes and getting cancer is 0.44. That's, 
that shows you just how powerful this correlation is. How connected are you to others? So when we talk about a world today where people are connected via social media and, and via the Internet, which is a good thing because, among other things, we're doing this show right here via right. the Internet. We right. wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. You know, but, but the real question is, what is the quality level of that connection? That's the part that I think is the most important part, and I think it's the part that you're addressing when you talk about the importance of making those phone calls to those coaches who had tried to recruit your daughter. Yeah, I, I think so. And, 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 and you, we've got to have deep connections. We are a species that needs each other. You know, I, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to the Bible and, you know, I mean, you, you look at, at Genesis, you know, I mean, God made man. Yeah. And then God realized, mm, not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to put man to sleep, take a rib out and make woman. And I don't think that was necessarily about, you know, the connection between a man or a, a woman in a relationship. I think that was more about the connection that we need each other. You know, whether we're a man or a woman or a man or a man or a woman or what, whatever that relationship is, we need each other. We are, we are so much better together, you know, and all these people that are like, you know, Hey, it's all about me. It's all about, I got news for you. It's not about you. It's not about you in the least because you individually can't do squat. Us collectively can do anything we set our minds to do. So I absolutely believe that that strong connection where, where it's a strong enough connection that we have that you're willing to sacrifice the relationship you have with me because you love me enough to tell me the truth. That's always a hard thing to do sometimes. Well, not always. It's often a hard thing to do. Fortunately, it's not always a hard thing to do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have dinner together. But right. you know, it, it is at times a difficult thing to do. <laughs> and and it's, it's a very important thing. One of the things that I think about as you're talking about this, you keep referring to your, your faith, to, to your religious belief. Um, those of us here who do this show tend to have slightly different belief in the sense that we tend to think of, uh, let's put it this way, Christians tend to think of man being made in God's image and that uh, in that way humans are, in a sense, God-like. Here on the show, we talk in terms of everybody being derived from source energy, as we call it. In other words, the energy that creates everything. And, and in that context, we think of ourselves as being uh, pieces of a, a larger flow of energy, so to speak. And when, you, when I look at it that way, when I think about it that way, what I'm basically saying to myself is, I'm not alone. I was never alone. I have always been connected. I always will be connected. This, this, this shell of a body I'm in right now really has nothing to do with that connection at all. It's just kind of like you know the, the current house that I'm living in, to use your metaphor, right? Um, but nevertheless, that connection is an eternal connection. And I think there's real value in understanding and appreciating that eternal connection. Because when we do, now we become, it becomes incumbent, uh, incumbent upon us to truly take advantage of the fact that we're all connected. That's really what you're talking about, I think, when you're talking about making that phone call. What you're, you're saying is, let's, let's enhance that connection that's already there. Let's start actually building a connection. That it, this isn't something that we have to build from scratch. This is something that's already there. We just have to kind of rediscover it, in a sense, and start reapplying it in our lives. Because when we do, our lives get better. It's true. And, but, you know, if you think about it, what, what do we usually do? We, we look for the differences. You know, how, how am I different from Anne-Marie? How am I different from Walt? How, how are we different? Instead of looking for the similarities in our lives. And, and, and that's, that's kind of the thing that drives me nuts. I love people. I, I, I don't like crowds so much, but I love people. <laughs> I love sitting down 
and, and talking with an individual, you know, tell me your story. As a matter of fact, my wife used to drive my wife nuts. I, I, we would go to a party, a business function or something like that. And I would be like, all right, I'm going to find out everything there I can about all these people. And, and if you, the, I mean, the thing that I loved is that I realized people are narcissistic, love to talk about themselves. So I would just ask an open-ended question. And that kind of goes back to my hostage negotiating uh, days where you would just ask somebody about themselves and you couldn't shut them up. And then you'd ask them another question and another question. And we'd get in the car and, and I would tell my wife, okay, this guy does this, this, and this. This woman does this, this, and this. And my wife would be like, and what did they ask you? I'm like, nothing. Never asked me a question. Never asked me, you know, do you have kids? Where'd you go to school? Do you like baseball? Whatever it is, would never ask me that. And, and I love that because, and it used to drive her crazy when I would go to parties and do that and just go up to people and start asking them questions about themselves because people love to talk about themselves. You're reminding me of something that came from a television program. And I, I'm not a television watcher. I mean, my wife is. She, she's like the preeminent television watcher in the family, but not me. I mean, I watch with her because that's what we do at night, right? Yeah. But that, that's about the extent of it. But there's one series that has gotten all kinds of awards the last year or so on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. And it's the story of an American football coach uh, who ends up going to England to coach a uh, Premier League football team, football, uh, soccer, soccer team, as we would call it here in the U.S. And in the process of doing that, he brings with him a very positive attitude. Um, there's one particular scene, though, where they're in the local pub, and uh, one of the uh, uh, antagonist-type characters is the ex-husband of the woman who owns the team. And he's trying to basically worm his way into gaining control and, 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 and screwing up his wife's life and all that kind of thing after she took the team away from him. I mean, there's like this whole backstory that goes on there. Um, so anyway, uh, he, he, he's basically doing everything he can to belittle Ted Lasso, this American coach who knows nothing about British football, has no idea what he's doing and so forth, but he's just coming there and, and uh, you know, in his view, making a fool of himself. And he wants to make more of a fool of him. Well... Uh, he gets him into a game, game of darts. Figures, okay, here's another way I can really just, you know, nail it to this you know, Looney Tunes Midwestern American who just has no idea what he's talking about. And in the in the course of the conversation, uh, it becomes clear both Ted and the former team owner are basically conning each other, because the the team owner basically encouraged him, encouraged Ted to play a game that he thought he could easily win, and then turned out that Ted was actually conning the owner because when he was first playing with him, he was playing with his right hand, and then in the middle he says, oh, I forgot, I'm left-handed, and all of a sudden all the darts hitting the dartboard, right? Well, <laughs> in, in the process of all this this gamesmanship that's going on, they're at the last point, I mean, uh, basically Ted's down to his last three darts, and he has to get two uh, triple 20s and a, and a bullseye in order to beat the other guy. And of course, that's what he gets. But in the course of while he's throwing the darts, he's doing this philosophizing. And one of the pieces of philosophy he throws out is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I don't remember what the source was. He cited the source. I don't remember what the source was. But the quote was, be curious, not judgmental. And I thought, whoa. I mean, first of all, to see that in a popular television program. But just to see it at all, what a great great concept to put out there. And he, of course, he's doing it in the middle of the scene that everybody's just riveted in their attention to. They want to see how this thing's going to play out. But I thought I'd share that, that one phrase with you, be curious, not judgmental. 
Well, it's, it's easy to judge. It's hard to think. If you think about that, it's easy to judge. That's why we do what we do. It's easy to judge. But to sit back and think maybe what I can learn from you, how we're similar and things like that, that's a little more difficult. But I can judge you. It's like, you know, I don't like guys that are six foot eight inches tall because they intimidate me because they're, I mean, whatever that you're coming up with, you know, your philosophy, easy to judge. I don't like you because you're whatever. Harder to think, harder to say, hmm, what can I learn from you? What can we, what do we have in common? How do we, we've got so much more in common than we do differently, but we spend so much time on the differences. <laughs> It is so true. And something else, too, that we talk about a lot here on the program is being able to prefer or not prefer something without being con condemnatory about it. In other words, I can like apples and I can dislike oranges, but I don't have to condemn oranges in order to dislike them. Absolutely that's a big right. deal, too. It is. And we do that all the time with people. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't agree with me politically, you're bad. Right. Why are you bad? You just, we just don't agree together. And, you know, that was one of the things I learned as a hostage negotiator was the importance of listening. Because, you know, as a police officer, 99% of what you did was face to face with another human being. Whether, you know, you're pulling them over to give them a ticket for speeding or, you know, you're answering a radio run for a fight or you're knocking on the door to say, Hey, call the hospital, grandma died. Whatever it is, you know, you're face to face with another person. But as negotiators, we weren't face to face. I mean, we could be blocks away. We could be, you know, on the other side of a locked door, what, whatever the situation. And we had to get good at figuring out what was going on based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. And I think one of the things that I learned is the importance of listening not to respond, but listening to understand. You know, I, I mean, you know, Walt, you said something, uh, uh, you know, hurry up, Walt, say what you want to say, because I want to get my two cents in, is <laughs> listening to respond versus, oh, that's interesting, Walt. I may or may not agree with you, but let's talk about that. Where, where are you coming in that regard? And we are so great at screaming at each other right now that we never hear what each other's saying. Boy, is that a great quote right there. We're Isn't so busy, so right? We're, we're so busy screaming at each other, we don't even know what the other person's saying. How true. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got goosebumps <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah, I've not heard that before. That's really insightful. <laughs> Just to write that one down, we got another quote coming off of LOA today. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's another post-it note on the monitor. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So um, you also have a book out. We haven't really touched on the book, and we're running out of time, so we got to do that pretty quick and, and make sure that we get it in there. But uh, the book is called Sustainable Excellence. First of all, where did that come from? And tell us about the book. So the, the, the book really came about uh, through two conversations. One was with a former basketball player that I had uh, that I coached in high school who would moved to the area where my wife and I live, and we had had dinner with her and her fiancé one night. And I remember saying to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close because I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you're put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one story. And then I had a young man who reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn, not to just be successful in his job or in business, 
but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give them the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are very important. But I wanted to see if maybe I could go deeper with them. So I, I spent some time, I wrote some notes, and eventually I had these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to them. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, hmm, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody's life who emulates that principle. So literally during the time I was healing after my leg amputation and before I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and the real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Uh, the title was, you know, something I was kind of, you know, how, how do you, I've always wanted to be excellent in my life. I always wanted to be part of, you know, groups or organizations that I felt were excellent. Well, you know, people always ask me, well, how do you define excellence? And I always, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you define it. And if you read the introduction to the book, it talks about how, you know, Anne-Marie, you may think somebody's excellent. I may think they're good. And Walt may think, well, they're great, but I don't think they're ex. You know, so excellence kind of like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, it's one of those things that we kind of have to look at. And then it was like, well, when we get to excellence in our life, you know, we get to that point where like, oh, you know, I made it. All right. You know, feet up on the desk, you know, hands behind the head. I'm drinking a shot or whatever it is. I'm excellent. And then what happens? Somebody surpasses us. Because if you want to sustain excellence when you get it, you've got to change. You've got to adapt. You've got to keep growing. And so many people don't realize that. So that's kind of how sustainable excellence, the title happened. And that's pretty much how the book happened. And then I remember once I had the book, I was like, well, I've never published a book. I've never had a book published. What do I do? You know, and I'm like, I got to sell books. I got to sell books. I got to sell books. And I had a best-selling author, business author over in the United Kingdom who I connected with on LinkedIn. And he, he grabbed me and he's like, Terry, you're missing the point. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, your books will sell themselves. And I was so glad that he said that to me because I, I had no perspective on what to do once you had written a book. And he kind of put it in perspective for me. So sustainable excellence is out there. You can pretty much get it anywhere. You can get a book online. Absolutely fabulous. Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for joining us on the program and sharing your story. And we wish you all the best. Send all the, the love and power to you to uh, get through it. And not just be – right now you, you talked about how you have beaten cancer already. But I mean to really beat it, like beat it right out of your life entirely and you go on with your life. That's what I'm I'm putting out there for you. That, that, that's what I'm praying for, if you will. So, Well, thank you. Thank I, I mean, prayers mean a lot to me. I, you know, when people say that to me, I, I really – I gravitate to that. I, I, I can use all the prayers I can get. So thank you very much for, for that. And thank you for spending the time to share your story because it's a very inspirational story. And, and I, I'm so glad that you're continuing to do it and, and do it. Keep doing it, my friend. It's a good thing you're doing. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Anne-Marie, as well. We'll, we'll miss you next you. week, but we'll see you in a couple of weeks. That'll be you good will be back. So, and then thank you to our live stream listeners and thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. Cause hey, without you, we wouldn't have a podcast. We'll see you all next time here on LOA today. Goodbye, everybody.